Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're going to be talking about nutrition periodization for runners. Have you ever considered your nutrition in relation to your training calendar and the various phases of your training? So today we're going to be discussing nutrition periodization and how it can support your training to enhance your running performance. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans helping you enjoy peak running performance, and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Hi everyone, Aileen back here and I'm here again with Karen. Karen, how are you today? I'm fine, thanks Aileen. Yep, doing well. Good. So before we get going um, on our conversation today, Let's uh, just do our usual and share a little something personal with you. Um, so, Karen, I'm going to ask you a question about um, nutrition regarding different phases of training. So my question uh, is to you, do you have any different phases to your training? Hmm, that's a good question, actually, Aileen. Um, I would say that probably currently, no, because I don't have any races in the calendar and none for the foreseeable future. Um, just because, you know, we're still recording this during COVID times. Um, however, when I do have races in the horizon, then yes, I do have, um, sort of phases to my training. Um, and, and these are generally split into the, preparation phase so I'm getting the skills back up I'm doing sort of tempo training and hill drills and all of that to try and get my strength back up then I'll go into the sort of the pre-race phase where I really increase the endurance running putting in more of the distance then clearly there's race day and then after that I would go into sort of a, a recovery and rest phase which for me probably lasts I, I probably do about a week without doing any exercise whatsoever and then after that I will start some little recovery runs and um, and sort of just slowly build up again so that would be my idea how about you Aileen do you tend to have a phased training program at all? 
Yeah, well, in previous years, I've had a sort of a fairly planned training schedule, um, really related to the race dates in the diary. Um, but to be honest, I've never really thought about it from a point of view of having a few races close together. So I sort of tend to look at it in isolation, um, particularly during the summer when, you know, you tend to, you know, you tend to seasonally get a few dates and you, you choose your races depending on your availability more than anything mm-hmm. um so i tend to think about my you know training and nutrition related to individual events rather than a season uh, but i'm really interested to find out what you're going to share with us today karen because i think it's going to be uh, very insightful and lots of new information that maybe we've not heard of before mm-hmm. so um so i think um it's time for me to outline what we're going to talk about today so we will be discussing uh, new nutrition periodization for runners. And, and some of you may have heard of this, but others, it might be a new concept. Certainly it's fairly new to me. Um, and it's, it's not surprising that it's new because it's actually quite a new area of research. And we're going to divide our conversation into three key areas. Um, so the first one is to really get into the nitty gritty and define um, the various interpretations of nutrition periodization. Then we're going to talk about the physiological adaptations and performing enhancing outcomes of nutrition periodization. And then finally, we're going to look at the food and nutrients associated with um, nutrition periodization and how you strategically implement those um, food and nutrients. Um, so, Karen, let's get started. Can you explain to us what nutrition periodization is? Yes, Aileen, I, I will define it for you, but there are many different interpret- interpretations, which I know we'll go on to sort of discuss. Um, and, and also there are various titles. So that's also known in, in some research as periodized nutrition and also as fueling for the work required. So there are very, Various different interpretations, like I say. So, but, but my interpretation of the title, um, nutrition periodization is really as I described uh, in my intro when talking about my phases of training. Um, so that is the, the nutrition and energy needs and intakes required to support the four key training phases leading up to a race or competition day. And these four phases are generally known as the preparation phase. Then there's the pre-competition phase. Then there's a competition phase and then rest and active recovery phase. So those are the four general terms that are used. Okay, so I know we're going to discuss the nutrition for each of these phases later, Karen. Um, but what would you say an athlete's training considerations need to be during each phase? Yeah, so so thinking about the training during the preparation phase, it's generally about um, body composition, um, but also building strength. And then you from there, you're moving into that pre-competition phase, which is where endurance running would increase exponentially, whilst strength training would maybe decrease slightly. However, it is still important to continue with the with the, the strength training throughout. Um, then moving into the competition phase, well, this speaks for itself. And I think for most of us, it would just be 
for one day. However, for some runners, it may be over several days or weeks, depending on the, the challenge or the competition that they're entering into. And then after the competition phase, you're looking at the rest and active recovery phase. Now, again, for most of us, it would be maybe a few days to a couple of weeks of rest following a race. However, for some people, um, this might not actually be possible. So active recovery would be introduced. Um, and that's where they're still training, but to a much lesser degree for a period of time. And then that cycle starts again, because for some people, they've maybe got several different competitions coming up. So they're like mini cycles. Mm, interesting. Thanks for outlining that, Karen. And as you said, we'll, we're going to look at the nutrition uh, phases uh, later in our conversation. Um, but you, you also said earlier that nutrition periodization is interpreted in different ways. Um, what can you tell us about that? Yes, Aileen. So, so what I mean by that is, you know, like I said, I've outlined it as the four phases of nutrition introduction during that yearly training cycle. However, I was reading a review article recently um, by Oscar Jurkendrup. Now, he's a, is a really prominent scientist in the world of sports nutrition, and he defined um, nu uh, nutrition periodization as the strategic combined use of exercise and nutrition, or actually nutrition alone, with the overall aim um, of obtaining adaptations that support exercise performance. So that is his definition. Uh, but he also goes on to say that nutrition periodization is purposeful and planned. So it's not just about eating around your, your training. It's, it's about it being really purposeful and every, every meal is planned. And I think that's really important to take on board. And it's, it's sort of really focused. Um, and, and, and a deliberate approach to nutrition to manipulate the adaptations to exercise. And, and that predominantly is about muscle adaptation. So that's quite complex to say the least. Um, <laughs> but it sounds really exciting, actually. I'm finding this quite motivating, Karen, to mm. think that we can be purposeful and planned and it makes a difference. Um, yeah. but just to make sure that we understand you correctly, what Jurgen Drip is saying is that it's a strategic use of exercise and nutrition or nutrition alone that could lead to muscle adaptations. Yes, that's, that's right. But actually what he, he's also saying is that it's not just about the muscle adaptation. It's also about nutrition affecting the body in other ways that would ultimately lead to enhanced performance, which is what it's all about. And here I'm thinking of, um, its ability to increase the absorptive um, capacity of the digestive tract and also uh, building a toler tolerance to dehydration. Now, his approach could be interpreted, implemented over the, the four phases of training that we discussed earlier. However, he goes further and, and starts to introduce this train low and tra train high concept. And that's where carbohydrate intake is manipulated on a daily or weekly basis, depending on the exercise performed. I'm loving this, Karen. This is really good. <laughs> so I, I think the thing that I'm loving about it is that so many people think about nutrition just as being fuel, um, but we're really focusing on adaptation here and nutrition truly giving us the edge, which is something that, you know, we're really encouraging people to take on board. 
Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. And I just want to give you one more definition as I think it's it's a really interesting approach. Again, it was a it was another research paper I was reading where Louise Burke was one of the researchers. Now she's another really prominent, she's the guru um, um, in the world of, of sport and exercise nutrition. And in this paper, they spoke about nutrition periodization being the strategic and targeted nutritional intervention used to increase the outcomes from the various specific training phases. Now, they speak about these phases in terms of the of the micro, so that's within a day or, or a few days, the meso, which is within several weeks, and then the macro, which is over months or, or, or years. Um, and they're speaking about it in this micro, meso and macro way rather than the four phases per, per year. So the idea here is that a thorough understanding of the sports specific goals as well as athlete specific performance gaps are, are what are recognized and then strategies, including the nutrition interventions are introduced to address the gaps and are then are integrated into the periodized training program over the days and weeks or over the months and years. So really interesting, different concepts of what nutrition periodization is. I love that concept too. It's really, I can see how you could apply that. So Mm -hmm. Karen, I'm going to try and summarize what you've just told us in a simpler way as I can. So you started with your, your interpretation of periodized nutrition which focused on the strategic uses of nutrition over the four training phases. And you would use that throughout the year. And that the aim is to enhance performance. Whereas um, Jürgen Drip's definition builds on the concept of introducing train low and train high approach. And that's where carbohydrate intake is manipulated on a daily and weekly basis. And that supports the physiological uh, adaptations. And finally, uh, Louise Burke and her team speak about manipulating nutrition intake over days, weeks, or months on this um, micro, meso, and macro approach. Um, and that depends on sport-specific goals required and also the gaps in the athlete's personal running performance. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot to take on board there. Um, but let's move on. Let's look at the physiological and performance enhancing outcomes that you can achieve, uh, that you can aim to achieve uh, through uh, nutrition periodization. So, Karen, you, you mentioned earlier muscle adaptations and you also mentioned um, gastrointestinal gastrointestinal adaptations, mm-hmm. so gut adaptations, and, and also an increased tolerance to dehydration or, or hydration. So can you explain a little bit more about um, how nutrition can influence the muscle adaptation? Yes, absolutely, Aileen. So what I would just like to say first, though, is that research appears to be revealing how powerful nutrition can be in amplifying or dampening the adaptations triggered by the exercise. So, so what, what I'm saying here is that the, the good nutrition and targeted nutrition is really, really important. Um, but, but going on and thinking about the nutrition and muscle adaptation, most of us will um, automatically think of protein. And yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, protein is the key trigger 
of the muscle protein synthesis, especially those um, branch chain amino acids. Yeah, and Karen, it's probably just worth refreshing everybody's memory of which the branch chain amino acids are. So they're leucine, isoleucine and valine, uh, and leucine being the master trigger of the uh, muscle protein synthesis cascade. So um, I'll let you carry on now, Karen, just not yeah. remind, yeah. remind everybody of that. Absolutely. Thanks for that, Aileen. It's a really good idea. Yeah, so I was just um, going on to say that it is now well recognised that in the absence of protein fueling post-exercise, that net protein synthesis is low, which can then have a knock-on effect on muscle protein synthesis, therefore muscle building. But as well as protein being important for that, that muscle protein synthesis, so is carbohydrate because the insulin release that's triggered by um, carbohydrate is thought to enhance protein uptake into the muscle. So really interesting that you need both. But just as a reminder for muscle protein synthesis to be optimal, it's important that the protein intake outweighs the carbohydrate intake in those hours following exercise. So it needs to be there, but remember that it, it still needs to be predominantly protein at that time. Now, I'm thinking of, of strength exercise here because clearly immediately after any endurance exercise, carbohydrate is what's most important because you want to be replenishing the glycogen stores at that point. Then we would think about introducing protein. Um, and, and also interestingly, um, high dose antioxidant supplements are, are thought to, to hamper training adaptations because they are thought to alter that protein signaling. So, so this is where having a professional check your supplement plan actually would be really useful. Um, because you, you don't want to be taking these high dose supplements so close to your training. Therefore, you could sort of, um, alter or diminish the adaptation, uh, adaptive, um, results of what you, of your training and your, and your nutrition. Anyway, I'll stop there. Um, as this is another subject really, um, which may be a little bit technical for, for the moment. So I'll, I'm going to stop, Aileen. Okay. Thanks, Karen. I think that's really <laughs> fascinating. Um, but you're right to stop it. You might lose us all because we're heavily into nutrition periodization at the moment <laughs> without <laughs> thinking about our supplement plans. Um, yes. but yeah, it is, it's interesting to know that definitely. Um, so I just wanted to remind everybody that there are some episodes that were, that are very closely related to this topic and you might want to go back and listen to them. So, um, in episode two, we talk about mac macronutrients to help runners go faster and longer. In episode eight, uh, we talk about nutrient timing for, for, for performance. Um, we've also got a free resource that you might be interested in. We've got a, a downloadable ebook. So if you're interested in that, go to our website and you'll, um, you'll find that there. Um, and then episode nine, um, we talk about energy bars, gels and powders. So there's another focus on carbohydrate and protein there. So, um, lots of, um, information that might just supplement this topic. So, uh, moving on, Karen, what would you say, are some other performance enhancing outcomes of nutrition periodization? 
Yeah, so there is some research into other performance um, enhancing outcomes. However, I have to say that the literature is quite limited. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that um, that observes, uh, absorption, I can't get my words out either today, Lee, absorption via the, the, gas, the digestive tract may be enhanced. And this is thought to be as a result of carbohydrate intake again. So studies suggest that sort of that strategic carbohydrate feeding can result in an increase of the of the carbohydrate transporters. So these transporters are proteins um, that are needed for transporting glucose across the intestinal wall. Um, and clearly the more the more transporters that are available, the more glucose is going to be transported into the blood and therefore be more readily available for energy during exercise. So the more carbohydrate um, feeding can lead to an increase in these proteins being produced. Okay, good. So I'm thinking about when you talked earlier, Karen, about the training low concepts as a periodized approach. Um, in what way would low carbohydrate availability enhance performance? Oh, yes. Now, this is an interesting one, Aileen, because low carbohydrate availability is also thought to enhance muscle protein synthesis. And we've just spoken about increased carbohydrate supporting muscle protein synthesis. But the theory behind the train low is that um, it triggers a stress signal at cellular level. So, and this stress signal then triggers a cascade of different chemical reactions that results in the release of molecules required for muscle protein synthesis. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Thanks, Karen. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so I was also, just before we move on, I was thinking about running in a fasted state, and we've discussed that in previous episodes as well. And, and I'm imagining that this is a concept that could maybe be introduced as part of a nutrition periodization plan, um, as that might encourage the body to become more efficient at using fat as a fuel um, and thereby sparing glycogen, which would be another adaptation for enhancing performance. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point, Aileen. Yes, that could be seen as 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 part of this um, nutrition periodization concept. Yeah. Okay. So lots of different ways that we can use mm. it. Okay. So just to to summarise before we move on, Karen. Um, so you've spoken about the importance of protein and carbohydrates. Um, in a nutrition periodization plan and that encourages this mu muscle adaptation and that can work with both a moderate and low intake of carbohydrate supporting the muscle protein synthesis but by different mechanisms um, and also that high carbohydrate intake is thought to lead to these uh, digestive tract adaptations um, whilst the low carbohydrate intake is known to support the body's efficiency at ut utilizing fat as fuel. So carbohydrate is key, I would say. Um, and I've always had a love hate relationship with carbohydrate, but I'm <laughs> always surprised at what it does. So <laughs> I'm, pleased say, I'm pleased to say that it's got lots of different functions. It does. It's quite a powerful, um, it's got a powerful role, especially when it comes to, um, sports nutrition. And I do think that's where a lot of our, our ideas of everyday healthy nutrition can be turned on it, on, on, on its head, really. 
mm. uh, when it comes to sports nutrition, but it's still always about the healthiest options possible. So, Aileen, before we move on to discuss the foods and the nutrients associated with um, nutrition periodization, uh, although we have spoken about some already, um, maybe we could take a, an advert break, break. So I'm going to hand back to you. <laughs> Okay, thanks, Karen. So this is the point in the episode where we usually pause our conversation for a short break. And uh, as you may know, that the, the podcast is sponsored by our business, Runners Health Hub, and that's where Karen and I offer a range of services to help you be a fitter, faster, stronger runner. And you've maybe, if you've if you've been listening to us a while, for a while, you'll know that over the past few months that we've been doing some research around the nutrition and lifestyle challenges experienced by women, uh, predominantly in our Facebook group, but also with our clients. Um, and what we've realized is that the topics that we cover in the podcast episodes are really well received and we get lots of positive feedback. But the missing link for many of our followers is how to put it all into practice and get some direct feedback from us while they do it. So in the background, we've been busy designing our Healthy Woman, Healthy Runner method um, we're offering some free training so that if you're feeling frustrated with the health challenges of being a midlife runner, um, you might like to come along to our free live online training. Um, so we've hosted a few of these sessions now. And we've had some great feedback and we'd love to invite you to join us. And by all means, if you've joined in the past and you'd like to join us again, you'd be very welcome. So to join, all you need to do is to register Um if you check out the show notes um, alongside the episode, you'll find a link to register. All you need to do is look at the top of the show notes and you'll see that link. Click on it, um, tell us your email address and we'll email you all the information. Um, if you can't find that, then just um, feel free to email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com or message us via Facebook and we'll send you the link. So it's our mission to help you be a healthy woman, healthy runner for many years to come. So we really hope that you'll join us on that free training. That's great. Thanks very much, Aileen. So for the final part of this episode, um, like I said earlier, we're going to discuss the foods and the nutrients associated with nutrition periodization and their strategic implementation. So we've discussed the two key ones, so protein and carbohydrate. So what we'll do is, is sort of think about the principal food source sources, so the, the food choices that you can make, and then the strategic implementation of them. And, and I think in an effort to try and keep this as simple and as straightforward forward as possible, we'll maybe discuss them in relation to the four phases uh, we mentioned at the beginning, which were the preparation phase, the pre-competition phase, the competition phase, and then that rest and active recovery phase. Okay, thanks, Karen. So when we're thinking about, um, you know, relating these phases to training, Karen, how would you relate them to the food and nutrition requirements that we have? Yeah, sure, Aileen. Like you say, I, in the beginning, I, I sort of related them to, to the different phases of training. So here, thinking about the nutrition linked to those training phases during that preparation phase, we'd be looking at adjusting energy balance um, to, to change body composition. So that's fine tuning everyday training, diet and also supporting, at the same time, supporting the increased demands for strength and speed trading. Because when you think of this as a cycle, 
the, the, uh, when you go into the preparation phase, the person is coming out of the rest phase. So there may be been different foods that have been eaten, eaten and less, um, less training being done. So really it's about the body composition initially in the preparation phase to get them back where they were. And then sort of looking at the demands of the strength and speed training. Then moving into the pre-competition phase, really it's about adjusting the energy intake to support those long distance endurance runs. And also here, it's, it's about thinking of, um, practicing the fuel and hydration strategy, strategies for competition so that you're not going into competition, maybe trying new foods or, um, um, not having trialed it before, therefore having that risk of, um, gastric distress. Um, then going into the competition phase. So here you're really dealing with issues related to travel, to injury, and also to recovery. And then finally in that rest and active recovery phase, um, it's about sort of agreeing what we class as a, as a, as a living weight range. Um, so, so being less strict about weight and the same with overall diet, sort of maintaining an overall, all, um, healthy diet, but with space for foods and drinks that are not usually consumed during the, the, the training phases. Okay. I like the idea when you, you mentioned there about it. It's almost like a cycle. So to think of it as a circle cycles, you know, starting with preparation, ending with rest and recovery and going straight back into preparation. I think that's a really nice way to yeah. think about it. So mm. let's look at the key nutritional considerations during the preparation phase. Karen, can you enlighten us? Yeah. Okay. So, so the initial goal, like I was saying during this phase would be about body composition. So, um, and, and also, as I alluded to during that rest and recovery phase, many athletes, they will indulge in the foods that they generally deprive themselves of during that training and competition, um, phase. So, and also at this time, training load is much lower. Um, as in during the recovery phase. So initially, fat loss and possibly lean muscle development would be the initial focus. And this would include really a diet that's going to be higher in protein and lower in fat and carbohydrates. So similar to our everyday healthy diet principle that, that we, we see as foundational alien and that we mm. speak about a lot in all our different platforms. But what I think is important to say here is that any energy mismatch due to the deliberate efforts to reduce body mass um, or body fat content or the failure to account for the energy cost of any training load could potentially impair health and, and performance, which could have both short and long term consequences. So it is very much about this balance. Mm, okay, Karen. So what would be the training load of a runner during this phase? Well, during this phase, the focus would be more on the strength and the speed, as we mentioned earlier. Clearly, the training load will depend on the runner's ultimate race or competition goal. So we'll be, it will be really individual. Um to improve strength and speed, a lot of the training will be skill based. So here I'm thinking about maybe tempo runs, interval training, and um, possibly fartlek and also the hill drills. 
Mm. So on a technical training day, the runner's carbohydrate intake would need to be increased for energy while still maintaining a high protein intake to support uh, muscle protein synthesis. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. That's that's where it would need to it would need to fluctuate. So going back to the likes of Jokendrup's idea about um and, and also um Burke's idea that that this periodization may need to change on a daily basis depending on what the training is. Um but but what I would say here is that the carbohydrate intake would need to be really tightly matched to the energy output of training to ensure that fat gain didn't occur. Um, in fact, at this point, it could be that the carbohydrate intake may remain slightly lower than is actually required just to encourage that ongoing fat loss. Mm, okay. So let's have a, a quick look at the pre-competition race phase. What would be the principal nutri nutrition goals here? Yeah, so so the main goal of nutrition and food intake here is is really to adapt the runner's energy intake to support the increased mileage that they're going to be undertaking on a more regular basis. So this is principally um carbohydrate intake as the key nutrient providing the energy to fuel the um endurance runs. Now, protein intake still needs to remain constant and at a good level. So possibly maybe a minimum of 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight per day um, for, for protein, whilst fat intake needs to also be acknowledged really here, I think, because we're, I'm thinking principally of sort of the omega-3 fatty acid, acids because they're known to contain the anti-inflammatory properties, which most of us uh, are aware of. Um, and it, it's worth remembering that endurance running is known to be pro-inflammatory to the body. So the importance of the omega-3 fatty acids is, an, is important here because when people are trying to lose weight, fat tends to be one of the key uh, foods that they remove and they tend to remove the good fats as well as the bad mm. fats so so it is really important to 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 be taking on board these anti-inflammatory nutrients yeah definitely uh, and i'd also like to just sort of mention the micronutrients and how important the these micronutrients and phytonutrients are here um we've been mostly speaking about the macronutrients you know the protein carbohydrates and fats um which uh, are very well studied regarding the, the links to sports performance, but we've got to really always also consider the need for the micronutrients um, because they're really going to help optimal absorption and bioavailability of the macronutrients. And also, you know, as we've talked in other episodes, the micronutrients have anti-inflammatory properties. So things like vitamin E, vitamin C, vitamin D, and all the phytonutrients found in fruit and vegetables uh, they're known to help neutralize the inflammatory effects of free radicals. So these are the, the rogue molecules, which we naturally produce as a byproduct of the metabolic processes of, of exercise. Um, so again, it, it, this is just a, another way of really reminding everybody of the um, importance of an everyday healthy diet. And we talk a lot about eating a rainbow and eating a lot of different fruit and vegetables alongside those macronutrients. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that, Aileen. And like you say, the focus does tend to be on the macros, but but a, a complete and balanced nutrition plan is what is really required throughout. Um, but just before we move on, I just wanted to add that during this phase, it's it's also important for the runner to begin practicing their fuel and hydration strategies for their race or competition. Now, this will include sort of practicing um, the strategies for pre, during and post um, training to observe for any digestive effects at all, uh, because this is the time to be training the gut. Um, and, and, and I would say that it's important to have plenty of time um, and allocate plenty of time for this so that um, you have time to play with different foods to find out what works and what doesn't work. Mm, that's really good advice, Karen. And I think that goes for hydration too. Um, you know, plenty of time is needed to ensure that as a runner that you're hydrating appropriately and, and consideration also to the, the climate that people are competing in, particularly if you're somebody who's you know, moving to different countries for your races. Um, so Karen, I'm, I'm really conscious of time. So I think maybe if we could talk about the two phases, the next two phases together. Um, so if we could begin with the competition phase where the runner will need to be considering the practical issues that we've mentioned around travel and what foods that they can take with them, what foods and hydration might be available on the course. Um, they might also want to need to be thinking about how to avoid injury and thinking about foods to support a swift recovery from each training session. Is there anything that you would add to that, Karen? Yes, th these are all really relevant points that you bring up um, here, Aileen. And you spoke about avoiding injury, which is always a worry for a runner, um, especially as a race approaches. Um, and this can be a worry during your training in case you 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 um, get an injury, but also out outside of it. Um, and I know that uh, I'm I'm really conscious of this. It's whatever I'm doing, and that week leading up to to an endurance race is okay. I can't afford to get injured, mm. so I'm always like moving around with with in 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 a bubble. Um, so, so I think it is, it is sort of outside as, as well as inside. Now, tapering also is an important approach here to, to help avoid the injury. Um, and I'm sure that most of our listeners will know what I mean by that. Um, but really it's just about adjusting training load down in the week or two weeks for some people leading up to that, um, competition to give the body time to rest and recover before the big event. And, um, and, 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 and what we need to consider here is that, is that as a runner tapers their training, the nutrition also needs to be tapered. Um, so, so, and again, that will be on an individual basis because it depends what type of tapering an individual does. Therefore, so how much training are they doing, if any, in that week leading up to the race? Yeah, another set of great tips there, Karen, particularly the one about keeping safe in the lead up to a competition. Mm. So, so once we've, we've gone through the race or the competition, uh, and that's all over, the runner then moves into this rest and active recovery phase. And you said at the beginning of our conversation that the athlete 
might indulge in foods usually off limits and often you see that at the end of races people you know really want to um, treat themselves to something that maybe they've not eaten for a long time so we really do come full cycle don't we karen Yes, that's that, that's it, Alien, and it is like you said, it's a series of cycles. But but really, for recovery to be optimal, a healthy diet does still need to be in place, um, and and full recovery can take several days for some people, weeks for others. It's again, it's all very individual. So so my advice would be to return to an everyday healthy diet, but maybe just having the odd treat here and there. And, um, and, and I think also by having this approach, it, it helps make returning to the preparation phase so much easier. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree with that. I think, you know, have, have your treat, but then get back straight into everyday healthy nutrition. So I think that was really fantastic, Karen. I've really enjoyed, um, hearing all these uh, insights into nutrition periodization. But one of the things I just wanted to mention um, to everyone is normally we talk about female factors as part of the um, episode, but regarding nutrition periodization, there aren't actually any specific female factors that are known at, at the moment anyway. Um, so the nutrition approach is very individualized, whether you are male or female, and will relate specifically to your uh, training and race goals. Um, so that sort of rounds us up for today. But before we go, Karen, would you please give us your key takeaways from this discussion? Yes, of course, Aileen. So my key takeaways today are uh, sort of a nutrition periodization. Just remember, is known by several names, and there are various approaches to it. For example, um, it may it may also be new, known as periodized nutrition, and it may be split into four phases throughout the year, or it could be broken down into nutrition periodized for the work required, which is what we spoke about as we moved through um, this episode, and also nutrition periodization. Periodization essentially is the nutrition and energy needs of an individual in an effort to support their sports training. And training and nutrition really are, are going hand in glove. They need to be together. Ultimately, nutrition periodization is in place to support the adaptations to enhance performance. Everything that we do is ultimately about enhancing performance. Most research focuses on the adaptation and performance effects of manipulating the macronutrients. However, just remember that the micronutrients are important too. And remember to consider the practical aspects of nutrition periodization. So here I'm thinking of um, Will you have to travel to competition? If so, what can you take with you? What will be available on the course? So these are really important but practical issues. Additionally, practicing with foods during training is important to reduce the risk of any digestive issues that could occur during the, the competition or race. And then finally, remember, remember the foundations of good sports nutrition begin with an everyday healthy diet. And this should run through every phase of your training, even during your rest phase. 
Well, thanks, Karen. That was a really fascinating discussion. I'm sure everybody's got a lot of value from that today. Uh, remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband, which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.